0: Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds.
1: We have to talk about Alex Jones. This case playing itself out in Austin, Texas is fascinating to me. He's about to get his comeuppance long overdue. He's been sued by several Sandy Hook families for his relentless peddling of conspiracy theories related to the tragedy. Says that was a hoax. 9-11 was an inside job and he laughs all the way to the bank. I've told the story so many times. It's part of my road tour speech about how when he was in a child custody dispute in Austin, Texas, probably by now four or five years ago, his wife, in seeking to gain custody of their three kids, introduced statements that he'd made uh, via InfoWars. And the response from the attorney was to say, Hey, he's a performance artist, and if you hold him accountable for the things that he has said on his radio or TV programs, that would be akin to holding Jack Nicholson accountable for his depiction of the Joker in the Batman film. Yesterday, court proceedings against the far-right commentator took a dramatic turn. This is CNN summary when a lawyer for two Sandy Hook parents revealed he had recently acquired evidence proving Jones had lied when he claimed under oath that he had never texted about the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting. Listen. Did
2: you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago,
1: your
3: attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years. And when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way, and as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession, and that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about Sandy Hook. Did you know that? I see. I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. I gave
1: them my phone, and Mr.
0: It, Mr. Jones, you need to answer the question. No, did you I didn't know mean, this happened. Did no, you
1: know? I didn't know this happened. But I mean, I told you, I gave him the phone over, to the the and you said,
3: the you said. In your deposition, you searched your phone. You said you pulled down the text, did the search function for Sandy Hook.
1: That's what you said, Mr. Jones, correct? And I had several several different phones with this number, but I did, yeah. Well of course. I mean that's why you got it. No, Mr. Jones. At this point he's he's sweating into his eyes and he's drinking from an empty cup. In another notable moment during cross examination, he was asked whether he had connected the judge overseeing the trial to pedophilia and human trafficking when jones denied having done so lawyers played an infowars video for the court that featured jones leveling exactly that kind of attack
3: this is the smirk podcast from SiriusXM. listen to michael live weekdays on potus SiriusXM channel 124 and on the sxm app Danny
1: Savalos is the NBC legal analyst and friend of the program to whom I am grateful for having guest hosted here recently. Chalo, Danny. I know you're paying attention to Alex Jones.
3: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but pay attention to this train wreck and even more so in the last 24 hours where it really did get a lot more dramatic.
1: To someone who says, well, yeah, he's a kook, but doesn't he have a First Amendment right? After all, he came into the trial the first day with the words, save the first, scrawled on tape that was covering his mouth.
3: Yeah, sure. But, you know, to me, that defense would have been better suited had there been a liability portion of this trial. For whatever reason, Alex Jones and or his attorneys allowed default judgment to be entered against him. So the liability part of this case has already been dead and buried. It's over, Johnny. I mean, all there is now is what's called the damages portion. And most folks who don't follow a lot of civil trials and they don't normally get televised like this may not know that sometimes if liability is determined before trial, you'll have an entire trial. On just damages. So, yeah, I mean, First Amendment defense, maybe, but the time to assert that uh, has passed. Now they're really just assessing damages. And every minute Alex Jones is on the stand, he enrages a jury. You know, Michael, you've handled, you know, uh, uh, Big damage injury cases like this. I mean, sometimes, uh, almost uh, counterintuitively, with lower-level cases of injuries, you can put things up on the board, like medical records, or things that are quantifiable, like a broken arm or a broken leg. But in cases like this, the jury is basically going to go back in that jury room and make up a number, and it's going to be driven by how much they like or dislike the defendant. And the defendant here is giving them every reason – to not like him. In a way, it's reminded me of a prolonged sentencing hearing in criminal court. In fact, I heard one outlet accidentally refer to the plaintiff as the prosecutor, and it's an understandable mistake <laughs> because that's really what this feels like. I mean, it's, it's more of a sentencing hearing, and it's going really, really poorly uh, for Alex Jones. I mean, these are a lot of unforced errors uh, that we're seeing the most dramatic was yesterday. And I really want to get into this because it's, you know, there's some arcane issues of law here that make this even more dramatic.
1: Danny, before the arcane, let me just remind everybody what it's at, what it's all about at its core. You've got Neil Heslin and Scarlett Lewis, who lost a six-year-old son in the 2012 Sandy Hook attack their son, along with 19 other first graders and six educators. This is a defamation lawsuit that they have brought against Alex Jones. And as you rightly point out, he did not defend himself. Consequently, a default judgment was entered against him. Do you think that the reason that he didn't defend himself is that if he had provided the information that had been sought, it would have been even more incriminating?
3: Uh, That is one theory. And I I definitely buy into that because it makes no sense why somebody would just lay down. I mean, people get default judgment entered against them, but they're folks who didn't understand they were being sued or just or scoff laws or, you know, deny the authority of the court or they just are running away to Florida to, you know, start a new life or whatever the case may be. It's not a major Uh, figure like this with quite a bit of assets, which, I mean, depending on who you believe, uh, it seems that there are at least assets. This is not the kind of company or defendant who's going to just let default judgment be entered. So there has to be a strategic reason, and I suspect it might have to do with discovery. And by the way, that theory was bolstered yesterday when it appears that Alex Jones was caught in a game of discovery, hide the ball, which, you know, look, our system is mostly, especially the civil system, is mostly on the honor system. I mean, you have to trust at two levels. You have to trust that the client is going to hand over uh, documents that may be damaging to him. Uh, and then you secondly have to trust that the attorneys will hand over those documents. So, you know, look, there, are a lot of the, there are, there's a lot of discovery games that never get discovered in court. And this is a rare instance where somebody gets uh, apparently caught.
1: So what of the arcane from yesterday did you want to dissect? Okay.
3: This is the part that, that just I, I don't fully understand. Now, in Texas, they have a rule, as do many jurisdictions. It's the kind of thing that makes lawyers like you and me uh, stay awake at night. It's inadvertent disclosure of confidential material. Oops, you know, we email things. Right. I audit, you know, well your email probably auto-populates the address, and there are probably a lot of Johns or Kevins In your contact uh, list. And I've done it, by the way. Sure. This is something I've done. You accidentally send it to the wrong attorney. Most of the time, no harm, no foul. Right. But uh, in this case, where it's an accident, fortunately, the rules, including in Texas, recognize that, look, attorneys do this. It shouldn't be the end of the world. So they have 10 days. From the date they actually discover that they, uh, inadvertently disclosed, not the day they disclosed it. It's very permissive. It's the day they actually discover they disclosed it. 10 days, uh, to, to demand that it be returned, which is so funny in an electronic era. Hey, return to me that digital file. Right, right, what, what am I going right. to send an email back? And right. hey, attach this the same thing. Meanwhile, it's on your server. It's on your computer. Uh, so then they have 10 days to demand its return, then they can litigate it. But in this case, at least according to what was said in open court by plaintiff's counsel, they they notified Jones's counsel that 10 days passed on day 12. By day 12, uh, that was free and clear, as he said, in his in the plaintiff's possession. Okay, number one question is, why didn't defense counsel protest? Why didn't defense counsel say, oopsie-daisy, give me that back, that was a huge mistake? Uh, and then gigantic question number two, why didn't defense counsel tell their client about this? Because it appears he got hit with the equivalent of a judicial folding chair uh, in court and completely sandbagged by it. So, I mean, those are my two major questions. Danny? Why not? Why didn't counsel grab it back on number two? Why was Jones taken by surprise?
1: Danny, can we can we just play the beginning of the audio? You were on hold when I did it, because it's to the point you just made. There's something I want to say. L- listen to the beginning of this exchange.
2: Did you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire objection, your
1: honor. Your- instead,
3: instead, Jones's lawyer just sat on his thumbs. That was, by the way, point number three. That que- I'm so glad you grabbed that question. That question, look, I get it. I never like to criticize counsel, and you can hear the adrenaline in plaintiff's counsel's voice. He's so excited to hit Alex Jones with this. So I, I sympathize with him. When I get caught in court and I get the adrenaline blown, I make a lot of mistakes, too. But that was a, that was a, a direct uh, – or excuse me, a cross-examination question that was – incredibly objectionable and defense counsel did nothing. Right. I mean, by, by about 10 beats into that question, there were about eight different questions asked. Some of them were not appropriate. I mean, your counsel messed up. What does that, that, what does that mean? I don't understand, but look, you know, when you're in the heat of, they've been on trial for a while. Now the judge, they all understand sort of that they're in a groove, right? It's the kind of thing that I can look at and say, Hey, that's a really objectionable question. Uh, Or, and and if nothing else, defense counsel should have shouted objection uh, for the liar, liar reason. It's incredibly devastating to my case. Uh, That's, you know, from the movie Liar, Liar. Sure. So, of course, you know, he should have, you know, he should have said something, but he said nothing. And, Michael, I wonder, I wonder if on some level, as defense counsel was sitting there, part of the reason was, Alex Jones, you made your bed, now you got a lion. Right. And sometimes lawyers do that.
1: Okay, a final issue for Danny Savalos of Savalos and Wong, the great NBC and MSNBC legal analyst. Let, let's go back to the beginning. So this this is not a liability trial that we're watching. This is solely on damages. I get it. He waived that defense. But was there a defense if he said it was all hyperbole? Yeah, that's right. I said actors staged the shooting as a pretext to strengthen gun control. That was just my opinion.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're getting into a strange world of defamation law. I'll concede anytime you try to hold someone liable for their words alone, it's never a slam dunk. It, because, you know, words, even the words themselves are not the full story. It's the context. And it's the meaning behind them. And it's the intent. It's all of these different things wrapped up in trying to discern what a, the meaning of a statement is in defamation cases. And you're right. I mean, is that a defense? This is hyperbole. This is me just shout you know, sounding off an opinion. Well, there's an established body of law that says there's a, a difference between opinion and statements of fact in defamation law. But, you know, every single case is different. So we can talk about the rules and talk about a bright line, you know, a uh, black letter law for what is and what is not defamation and what is and what is not opinion. But, you know, ultimately, there are no two statements or defamatory statements that are the same. So, I mean, it's always a case by case basis. So, yeah, I mean, could that have been a defense? Hey, I was just and this is hyperbole. This is just me. Schick. you know, WWFing it. It was right. yeah, Sticklock. Right it was it, I was in a stachoma, Michael, right, and so I, I was coming up with anything I could to be interesting. I didn't really mean it. well, you know, maybe that I, that might have been a defense uh, yeah I don't, I don't know why, I mean did. I don't know
1: why I don't know why they didn't roll the dice and at least go that route and and hope that even if they got hammered in the trial court that they'd be able to catch somebody's eye at an appellate level, maybe even the Supreme Court of the United States, where by the way, Danny, in that Westboro Baptist case. You know, even though there there had been a judgment entered, I hope I'm getting my facts right. Um, at the trial level, it was overturned in the Supreme Court by an eight to one decision.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, that's the point of you know defamation law. You've always got a shot. You really do. I mean, unless it's a, a, a I mean, just the most egregious kind of case. You, you, in a and case Sarah like Palin. This, look at you, Sarah Palin. A, yeah, exactly. right. Sarah yep.
1: Palin. I mean, the law. The law makes it really hard, especially for a public figure. Hey, I've overstayed my welcome with you. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Danny. I really appreciate being able to tap into your your legal skills and expertise and knowledge. So thanks.
3: Bye for now, Michael. Bye for
1: now, Danny. Thank you. Okay, now you've been briefed. Here's the question that I want to ask. The guy is a crumb. Okay, the guy really is a crumb. He's as bad as it gets in this business of mine, meaning with individuals with access to microphones. He's everything I talk about in terms of the polarization having driven the nation into the ditch. We get that. Anybody, does anybody want to make the tough argument that nevertheless he had a right to say what he said? He, he said actors staged the shooting at Sandy Hook as a pretext to strengthen gun control, later acknowledging that it had actually occurred. He could have asserted a defense, as I sp- spoke with Danny and said, hey, I was just, you know, this was all shtick. It was hyperbole. I wasn't asserting a fact capable of being proven false. I was just offering my opinion. Or do we agree? Screw him. He doesn't deserve the constitutional privilege in this case because he went too far. It wasn't just him opining. He was making factual assertions that were proven to be untrue about these kids and their parents.
3: This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
1: Robin, I, I'm not sure, maybe I'm judging you, are you suspicious of whether there are any damages?
2: No, no, no. I was wondering, okay, well, for one thing, a long time ago, I was being verbally harassed by this individual almost every day, and... uh I wanted to file harassment and get some sort of charges out of it. I called the cops and they said, Well you can file it but we don't know how far it's gonna go. So I mean were the were the families of Sandy Hook damaged or harassed to the point where uh the the um they could bring the suit or whatever damages and get something out of it.
1: Definitely. I mean if you accept their testimony, I, I I've got the clips in front of me in terms of what has some of that testimony been uh some of the families have said they they've had to relocate several times because of the harassment that they have faced here i've got a clip you can uh listen to, sit back and listen to this the father of a six-year-old boy killed in the sandy hook elementary school shooting testified tuesday that conspiracy theorist alex jones made his life a living hell by pushing claims that the murders were a hoax involving actors aimed at increasing gun control In more than an hour of emotional testimony, during which he often fought back tears, Neil Heslin said that he's endured online abuse, anonymous phone calls, and harassment on the street. Quote, what was said about me and the Sandy Hook uh, itself resonates around the world. As time went on, I truly realized how dangerous it was. My life has been threatened. I fear for my life. I fear for my safety. He said that his home and his car have been shot at. And his attorney said on Monday that the family had an encounter in Austin after the trial began in the city and they've been in isolation and security. Et cetera, et cetera. They are the parents of a six-year-old over the harassment. He sued Jones and his media company over the harassment and threats that he and other parents have endured for years because Jones and his Infowars website, Jones claimed that the 2012 attack uh, was a hoax or was fake. Yeah. For sure, they have. They, I mean, they've been victimized twice, first first by the gunman and then secondly by Alex Jones. CT, you've got an, an answer as to why Jones's lawyer did not object. Hi, go ahead. Hi.
2: Um, hi. So uh, I'm a bankruptcy lawyer. Um, and so I have had Alex uh, Jones, well, some of his case and as well as the uh, InfoWars bankruptcy. Uh, that's also kind of concurrently going on because it it has a chance to set the standard for bad faith bankruptcy filings, um, at least in the Fifth Circuit. So, um, but I think that his lawyers didn't object because they knew that he was trying to commit a fraud using them. And they were going to basic, he told them, oh, yeah, there's no uh, emails, no texts. That it would be responsive to a discovery, but then they found they found out otherwise, and so at some point it was it, it was gonna get they were gonna get hit with sanctions because at some point it was going to come out, and so I think they decided it'd be better for the uh, disclosure to just accidentally quote unquote make hmm. those disclosures and then deal with the consequences afterwards. Now, as to whether or why they didn't tell him, I, I actually talked to, to a colleague about that yesterday. Why they wouldn't tell him? Um, I think because they know, like, if they told him, they uh, they probably he would probably lie. Worth, like, I think <laughs> it's one thing for them for him to lie on the stand; it's another thing for them to suborn his perjurious testimony. And so I I, let me let me
1: stop. Let me just stop and say, I like the first part of your explanation is that Jones is asked for information, text messages that pertain to Sandy Hook. He says he's got none. The lawyers know that he does because they've got access for the last two years. If they do nothing, if they say nothing, they're in on it. They're as bad as he is. Yeah. So, you know, as, as Danny would say, whoopsie daisy. Haven't heard that for a long time. It gets handed over. And they allow the ten days to lapse without trying to pull it back,
2: right? And the kicker is that they know that he couldn't even bring a, a like a, any kind of uh, allegations of ineffective assistance to counsel against them because he was trying to commit a fraud on the court. Right. So <laughs> he can't. He couldn't sue them for ineffective assistance um, because CTCTU job.
1: You faded when you first came on the air. Did you say that you're a bankruptcy lawyer in Houston involved yes. in the bankruptcy proceedings uh, involving Jones?
2: No. no, no, I am not involved. I, I'm not following involved. the InfoWars bankruptcy because I mean, it, it could set the standard for a bad faith bankruptcy.
1: Okay, and before you leave me, can you tell me anything about what your monitoring of the bankruptcy profi- proceedings has revealed? I know that Jones says he's bankrupt. I also know... That the record indicates that I don't know what his status is today, but that that he has really, I mean, to the hundreds of millions of dollars, rung the register.
2: That, so that that what came out yesterday is a super big deal in the bankruptcy because what's more, what's likely happening is that he tried to they they put Infowars into bankruptcy. Now you have to have a valid bankruptcy reason to do it. You can't just say, well, I think. A lot of people are after me, and so I want to go into bankruptcy to cut them off at the knees. You have to have – there there are certain discrete reasons why you can go into bankruptcy. Um, The NRA had an issue in Texas before where they tried to file for bankruptcy under a a reason that was not permissible under current law. So in Infowars, I I feel very confident. I haven't seen all the records, but – there's, they probably Alex Jones probably lied about the worth of Infowars, or he probably siphoned money out of Infowars to his own uh, to his own accounts to uh, try and justify the bankruptcy filing. So, so basically say, well, yeah, there's no money in Infowars, and we think there we have this liability out here, but that's because he had siphoned the money out because all the money that that Infowars was making. Um, $800,000 a day uh, during CPAC, all that, that means that Infowars and Alex Jones, who are basically alter egos are of each other, they are basically, um, he's hiding money. And Understood. They I, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make a,
1: thing. I'm trying to make a different point, which is just how much of a cottage industry, how much of an absolute industry, all of the the, the bogus mm. claims that he's been a part of. It's, it's huge dollars. When I, thank you, CT. C- I really do appreciate your, your expertise. When I make the observation here about, uh, the speech that's designed not to talk about policy and not to figure things out for the betterment of society, but rather just to attract eyes to websites and mouse clicks and ears and so forth to radio, this is what I'm talking about. This guy has been laughing all the way to the bank. I don't quite know otherwise how to say it. Elizabeth, you're in Philadelphia. That's a good thing. What are you thinking of?
0: Hi, Michael. Elizabeth, you're in West Philadelphia. And uh, love your show. Always listen. And you. read your newsletter. I to get my plug in there for Hooray! you. Hooray! <laughs> and uh, I just think that but he's finally getting his upcoming year he's profiteering off of these lies and hatred that he spreads and hopefully they it dovetails with the January 6th and it's very Orwellian and I don't know if you read Heather Cox Richardson but she writes right in 1984 about just spreading these lies and controlling people with lies so I hope Elizabeth the, uh, Elizabeth
1: here's here's the sad part lying is good for business there's a lot of money know, to be made but, in know, lying I
0: I'm on the street, by the way, it's all right. During my walk through the Penn campus, but uh, I mean, there's profiteering off of lies. It's like, I agree, you know, people do it, but there has to be some, you
1: know, standards. I mean, we we there's it's part of how do I want to say this? By the way, enjoy your walk, and thank you for the phone call. I really appreciate it. You're probably okay. uh, you're probably right on Locust Walk as we speak.
0: No, no, actually, I'm at 33rd and Chestnut, just about to go over to the Drexel
1: <laughs> campus on my list. Okay. I can, pic- I can picture that intersection. Right. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate it very much. Um, it's a part of, of you know, human, the human condition. Gossip. We, we find it interesting. We used to spread it by mouth, maybe by letter, but the Internet has changed all that. And it has become a source of huge dollars for people like this guy, which is why I really hope he gets spanked.
0: The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds.
3: Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app.
0: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.